Section 14 of A Far Country by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 2, Chapter 12, Part 2. The autumn arrived, the campaign was on with a whoop, and I had my first taste of stump politics. The acrid smell of red fire brings it back to me. It was a medley of railroad travel, of committees provided with badges, and cigars, of open carriages slowly drawn between lines of bewildered citizens, of Lincoln clubs and other clubs, marching in serried ranks, uniformed and helmeted, stalwarts carrying torches and banners. And then there were the drafty opera houses with the sylvan scenery pushed back, and plush chairs and sofas pushed forward, with an ominous table, a pitcher of water on it, and a glass near the footlights. The houses were packed with more bewildered citizens. What a wonderful study of mob psychology it would have offered! Men who had not thought of the grand old Republican Party for two years, and who had not cared much about it when they had entered the dooms, after an hour or so went mad with fervor. The Honorable Joseph Mecklin, ex-Speaker of the House, with whom I travelled on occasions, had a speech referring to the martyred president, ending with an appeal to the revolutionary fathers, who followed Washington with bleeding feet. The Honorable Joseph possessed the most valuable of political gifts, presents, and when with quivering voice he finished his peroration, citizens wept with him. What it all had to do with the tariff was not quite clear— yet nobody seemed to miss the connection we were all of us most concerned of course about the working man and his dinner pail whom the democrats had wantonly thrown out of employment for the sake of a doctrinaire theory they had put him in competition with the serf of europe such was the subject matter of my own modest addresses in this my maiden campaign i had the sense to see myself in perspective to recognize that not for me a dignified and substantial lawyer of affairs were the rhetorical flights of the honorable joseph mecklin i spoke with a certain restraint not too dryly i hope but i sought to curb my sentiments my indignation at the manner in which the working-man had been treated to appeal to the common sense rather than to the passions of my audiences here were the statistics drawn by the way from the republican campaign book unscrupulous demagogues democratic of course had sought to twist and evade them let this terrible record of lack of employment and misery be compared with the prosperity under republican rule one of the most effective speakers in this campaign for the restoration of prosperity said the rossiter banner is mr hugh parrott of the firm of watling founds and ripon mr parrott's speech at the opera house last evening made a most favourable impression mr parrott deals with facts and his thoughtful analysis of the situation into which the democratic party has brought this country should convince any sane-minded voter that the time has come for a change i began to keep a scrap-book though i locked it up in the drawer of my desk in it are to be found many clippings in a similarly gratifying tenor. 
mecklin and i were well contrasted in this way incidentally i made many valuable acquaintances among the solid men of the state the local capitalists and manufacturers with whom my manner of dealing with public questions was in particular favour these were practical men they rather patronised the honourable joseph thus estimating to a nicety a man's value or solidity or specific gravity it might better be said since our universe was one of checks and balances the honourable joseph and his like skyrocketing through the air were somehow necessary in the scheme of things but not to be taken too seriously me they did take seriously these provincial lords inviting me to their houses and opening their hearts thus when we came to elkington mr mecklin reposed in the commercial house on the noisy main street fortunately for him the clanging of trolley cars never interfered with his slumbers i slept in a wide chamber in the mansion of mr ezra hutchins there were many hutchinses in elkington brothers and cousins and uncles and great-uncles and all were connected with the woollen mills but there is always one supreme hutchins and ezra was he tall self-contained elderly but well preserved through frugal living essentially american and typical of his class when he entered the lobby of the commercial house that afternoon the babble of political discussion was suddenly hushed politicians travelling salesmen and the members of the local committee made a lane for him to him the honourable joseph and i were introduced mr hutchins knew what we wanted he was cordial to mr mecklin but he took me we entered a most respectable surrey with tassels driven by a raw-boned coachman in a black overcoat drawn by two sleek horses how is this thing going parrot he asked i gave him mr grunewald's estimated majority what do you think he demanded a shrewd humorous look in his blue eyes well i think we'll carry the state i haven't had grunewald's experience in estimating ezra hutchins smiled appreciatively what does watling think he doesn't seem to be worrying much ever been in elkington before i said i hadn't well a drive will do you good it was about four o'clock on a mild october afternoon the little town of fifteen thousand inhabitants or so had a wonderful setting in the widening valley of the scopenong whose swiftly running waters furnished the power for the mills we drove to these through a gateway over which the words no admittance were conspicuously painted past long brick buildings that bordered the canals and in the windows i caught sight of drab figures of men and women bending over the machines half of the buildings as mr hutchins pointed out were closed mute witnesses of tariff tinkering madness even more eloquent of democratic folly was that part of the town through which we presently passed streets lined with rows of dreary houses where the workers lived children were playing on the sidewalks but there seemed a listless play listless too were the men and women who sat on the steps listless and somewhat sullen as they watched us passing ezra hutchins seemed to read my thought since the unions got in here i've had nothing but trouble he said 
i've tried to do my duty by my people god knows but they won't see which side their bread's buttered on they oppose me at every step they vote against their own interests some years ago they put up a job on us and sent a scatter-brained radical to the legislature krebs do you know him slightly he was in my class at harvard is he still here i asked after a pause oh yes but he hasn't gone to the legislature this time we've seen to that his father was a respectable old german who had a little shop and made eyeglasses the son is an example of too much education he's a notoriety seeker oh he's clever in a way he's given us a good deal of trouble too in the courts with damage cases we came to a brighter more spacious well-to-do portion of the town where the residences faced the river in a little while the waters widened into a lake which was surrounded by a park a gift to the city of the hutchins family facing it on one side was the hutchins library on the other across a wide street where the maples were turning were the hutchinson's residences of various dates of construction from that of the younger george who had lately married a wife and built in bright yellow brick to the old-fashioned mansion of ezra himself this he told me had been good enough for his father and was good enough for him the picture of it comes back to me now with singular attractiveness it was of brick and i suppose a modification of the georgian the kind of house one still sees in the out-of-way corners of london with a sort of dickensy flavour high and square and uncompromising with small-paned windows with a flat roof surrounded by a low balustrade and many substantial chimneys the third story was lower than the others separated from them by a distinct line on one side was a wide porch yellow and red leaves the day's fall scattered the well-kept lawn standing in the doorway of the house was a girl in white and as we descended from the surrey she came down the walk to meet us she was young about twenty her hair was the colour of the russet maple leaves this is mr parrot maud mr hutchins looked at his watch as does a man accustomed to live by it if you'll excuse me mr parrot i have something important to attend to perhaps mr parrot would like to look about the grounds he addressed his daughter i said i should be delighted though i had no idea what grounds were meant as i followed maud around the house she explained that all the hutchins connection had a common backyard as she expressed it in reality there were about two blocks of the property extending behind all the houses there were great trees with swings groves orchards where the late apples glistened between the leaves an old-fashioned flower-garden loath to relinquish its blooming in the distance the shadowed western ridge hung like a curtain of deep blue velvet against the sunset what a wonderful spot i exclaimed yes it is nice she agreed we were all brought up here i mean my cousins and myself there are dozens of us and dozens left she added as the shouts and laughter of children broke the stillness a boy came running around the corner of the path he struck out at maud with a remarkably swift movement she retaliated ouch he exclaimed you got him that time 
i laughed and being detected she suddenly blushed it was this act that drew my attention to her that defined her as an individual before that i had regarded her merely as a shy and provincial girl now she was brimming with an unsuspected vitality a certain interest was aroused although her shyness towards me was not altered i found it rather a flattering shyness it's hugh she explained he's always trying to be funny speak to mr parrot hugh why that's my name too i said is it she knocked my hat off a little while ago said hugh i was only getting square well you didn't get square did you i asked are you going to speak in the town hall tonight the boy demanded i admitted it he went off pausing once to stare back at me maud and i walked on it must be exciting to speak before a large audience she said if i were a man i think i should like to be in politics i cannot imagine you in politics i answered she laughed i said if i were a man are you going to the meeting oh yes father promised to take me he has a box i thought it would be pleasant to have her there i'm afraid you'll find what i have to say rather dry i said a woman can't expect to understand everything she answered quickly this remark struck me favourably i glanced at her sideways she was not a beauty but she was distinctly well formed and strong her face was oval her features not quite regular giving them a certain charm her colour was fresh her eyes blue the lighter blue one sees on chinese ware not a poetic comparison but so i thought of them she was apparently not sophisticated as were most of the young women at home whom i knew intimately as were the watling twins for example with one of whom francis i had had by the way rather a lively flirtation the spring before she seemed refreshingly original impressionable and plastic we walked slowly back to the house and in the hallway i met mrs hutchins a bustling housewifely lady inclined to stoutness whose creased and kindly face bore witness to long acquiescence in the discipline of matrimony to the contentment that results from an essentially circumscribed and comfortable life she was i learned later the second mrs hutchins and maud their only child the children of the first marriage all girls had married and scattered supper was a decorous but heterogeneous meal of the old-fashioned sort that gives one the choice between tea and cocoa it was something of an occasion i suspected the minister was there the reverend mr doddridge who would have made in appearance at least a perfect puritan divine in a steeple hat and a tippet only he was no longer the leader of the community and even in his grace he had the air of deferring to the man who provided the bounties of which we were about to partake rather than to the almighty young george was there mr hutchins nephew who was daily becoming more and more of a factor in the management of the mills and had built the house of yellow brick that stood out so incongruously among the older hutchins's mansions and marked a transition 
i thought him rather a yellow brick gentleman himself for his assumption of cosmopolitan manners his wife was a pretty discontented little woman who plainly deplored her environment longed for larger fields of conquest george she said must remain where he was for the present at least uncle ezra depended on him but elkington was a prosy place and mrs george gave the impression that she did not belong here they went to the city on occasions both cities and when she told me we had a common acquaintance in mrs hambleton durrett whom she thought so lovely i knew that she had taken nancy as an ideal nancy the social leader of what was to mrs george a metropolis presently the talk became general among the men the subject being the campaign and i the authority bombarded with questions i strove to answer judiciously what was the situation in this county and in that the national situation george indulged in rather a vigorous arraignment of the demagogues national and state who were hurting business in order to obtain political power the reverend mr doddridge assented deploring the poverty that the local people had brought on themselves by heeding the advice of agitators and mrs hutchins who spent much of her time in charity work agreed with the minister when he declared that the trouble was largely due to a decline in christian belief ezra hutchins too nodded at this take that man krebs for example the minister went on stimulated by this encouragement he's an atheist pure and simple a sympathetic shudder went around the table at the word george alone smiled old krebs was a freethinker i used to get my glasses of him he was at least a conscientious man a good workman which is more than can be said for the son young krebs has talent and if only he had devoted himself to the honest practice of law instead of stirring up dissatisfaction among these people he would be a successful man to-day mr hutchins explained that i was at college with krebs these people must like him i said or they wouldn't have sent him to the legislature well a good many of them do like him the minister admitted you see he actually lives among them they believe his socialistic doctrines because he's a friend of theirs he won't represent this town again that's sure exclaimed george you didn't see in the papers that he was nominated did you parrot but if the mill people wanted him george how could it be prevented his wife demanded george winked at me there are more ways of skinning a cat than one he said cryptically well it's time to go to the meeting i guess remarked ezra rising once more he looked at his watch we were packed into several family carriages and started off in front of the hall the inevitable red fire was burning its quivering light reflected on the faces of the crowd that blocked the street they stood silent strangely apathetic as we pushed through them to the curb and the red fire went out suddenly as we descended my temporary sense of depression however deserted me as we entered the hall which was well lighted and filled with people who clapped when the honourable joseph and i accompanied by mr doddridge and the honourable henry clay mellish from pottstown with the local chairman 
walked out on the stage a glance over the audience sufficed to ascertain that that portion of the population whose dinner pails we longed to fill was evidently not present in large numbers but the farmers had driven in from the hills while the merchants and storekeepers of elkington had turned out loyally the chairman in introducing me proclaimed me as a coming man and declared that i had already achieved in the campaign considerable notoriety as i spoke i was pleasantly aware of maude hutchins leaning forward a little across the rail of the right-hand stage-box for the town hall was half opera house her attitude was one of semi-absorbed admiration and the thought that i had made an impression on her stimulated me i spoke with more aplomb somewhat to my surprise i found myself making occasional unexpected witticisms that drew laughter and applause suddenly from the back of the hall a voice called out how about house bill seven o nine there was a silence then a stirring and craning of necks it was my first experience of heckling and for the moment i was taken aback i thought of krebs he had indeed been in my mind since i had risen to my feet and i had scanned the faces before me in search of his but it was not his voice well what about bill seven o nine i demanded you ought to know something about it i guess the voice responded put him out came from the various portions of the hall inwardly i was shaken not in orthodox language from any conviction of sin yet it was my first intimation that my part in the legislation referred to was known to any save a select few i blamed krebs and a hot anger arose within me against him after all what could they prove no don't put him out i said let him come up here to the platform i'll yield to him and i'm entirely willing to discuss with him and defend any measures passed in the legislature of this state by a republican majority perhaps i added the gentleman has a copy of the law in his pocket that i may know what he is talking about and answer him intelligently at this there was wild applause i had the audience with me the offender remained silent and presently i finished my speech after that mr mecklin made them cheer and weep and mr mellish made them laugh the meeting had been highly successful you polished him off all right said george hutchins as he took my hand who was he oh one of the local soreheads krebs put him up to it of course was krebs here i asked sitting in the corner of the balcony that meeting must have made him feel sick george bent forward and whispered in my ear i thought bill seven o nine was watling's idea oh i happened to be in the potts house about that time i explained george of whom it may be gathered that he was not wholly unsophisticated grinned at me appreciatively say parrot he replied putting his hand through my arm there's a little legal business in prospect down here that will require some handling and i wish you'd come down after the campaign and talk it over with us i've just about made up my mind that you're the man to tackle it all right i'll come 
i said and stay with me said george we went to his yellow brick house for refreshments salad and ice cream and in the face of the hutchins traditions champagne others had been invited in some twenty persons once in a while when i looked up i met maud's eyes across the room i walked home with her slowly the length of the hutchins's block floating over the lake was a waning october moon that cast through the thinning maples a lacework of shadows at our feet i had the feeling of well-being that comes to heroes and the presence of maud hutchins was an incense a vestal incense far from unpleasing yet she had reservations which appealed to me hers was not a gushing provincialism like that of mrs george i liked your speech so much mr parrot she told me it seemed so sensible and controlled compared to the others i have never thought a great deal about these things of course and i never understood before why taking away the tariff caused so much misery you made that quite plain if so i'm glad i said she was silent a moment the working people here have had a hard time during the last year she went on some of the mills had to be shut down you know it has troubled me indeed it has troubled all of us and what has made it more difficult more painful is that many of them seem actually to dislike us they think it's father's fault and that he could run all the mills if he wanted to i've been around a little with mother and sometimes the women wouldn't accept any help from us they said they'd rather starve than take charity that they had the right to work but father couldn't run the mills at a loss could he certainly not i replied and then there's mr krebs of whom we were speaking at supper and who puts all kinds of queer notions into their heads father says he's an anarchist i heard father say at supper that he was at harvard with you did you like him well i answered hesitatingly i didn't know him very well of course not she put in i suppose you couldn't have he's got these notions i explained that are mischievous and crazy but i don't dislike him i'm glad to hear you say that she answered quietly i like him too he seems so kind so understanding do you know him well she hesitated i feel as though i do i've only met him once and that was by accident it was the day the big strike began last spring and i'd been shopping and started for the mills to get father to walk home with me as i used to do i saw the crowds blocking the streets around the canal at first i paid no attention to them but after a while i began to be a little uneasy there were places where i had to squeeze through and i couldn't help seeing that something was wrong and that the people were angry men and women were talking in loud voices one woman stared at me and called my name and said something that frightened me terribly i went into a doorway and then i saw mr krebs i didn't know who he was he just said you'd better come with me miss hutchins and i went with him 
i thought afterwards that it was a very courageous thing for him to do because he was so popular with the mill people and they had such a feeling against us yet they didn't seem to resent it and made way for us and mr krebs spoke to many of them as we passed after we got to state street i asked him his name and when he told me i was speechless he took off his hat and went away he had such a nice face not at all ugly when you look at it twice and kind eyes that i just couldn't believe him to be as bad as father and george think he is of course he is mistaken she added hastily but i am sure he is sincere and honestly thinks he can help those people by telling them what he does the question shot at me during the meeting rankled still i wanted to believe that krebs had inspired it and her championship of him gave me a twinge of jealousy the slightest twinge to be sure yet a perceptible one at the same time the unaccountable liking i had for the man stirred to life the act she described had been so characteristic he's one of the born rebels against society i said glibly yet i do think he's sincere maud was grave i should be sorry to think he wasn't she replied after i had bidden her good-night at the foot of the stairs and gone to my room i reflected how absurd it was to be jealous of krebs what was maud hutchins to me and even if she had been something to me she never could be anything to krebs all the forces of our civilization stood between the two nor was she of a nature to take plunges of that sort the next day as i lay back in my seat in the parlor car and gazed at the autumn landscape i indulged in a luxurious contemplation of the picture she had made as she stood on the lawn under the trees in the early morning light when my carriage had driven away and i had turned to perceive that her eyes had followed me i was not in love with her of course i did not wish to return at once to elkington but i dwelt with a pleasant anticipation upon my visit when the campaign should be over with george End of section 14